Welcome to Lost in Translations. I'm Michael and my guest here is Mary, my wife. Hello. We're discussing Things We Lost in the Fire, a collection of short stories by Mariana Enrique's translator by Megan McDowell. This was translated into English from the Spanish in 2017 and comes from Portobello Books. Welcome, Mary. Hello, thank you. So we're going to be discussing this book. It's a collection of short stories from an Argentinian author, and I thought it was a good book to start with because it was one of my favourite books in 2017, and I thought there was a lot of interesting things to discuss, and I made you read it. What did you think of it? I quite liked it. I don't usually read short story collections, but... Me? Uh, I think I need to read more short story collections, but I thought this one was probably one of the best ones I've read. I don't remember the last time I read a short story collection. Okay. But I enjoyed it, and so maybe I should be reading more. Yeah, well, it's good to dip into a story quickly and... It's probably a real art form to be able to deliver a message so quickly mm. in such a short amount of time. Yes. While still being able to develop characters and the plot and yeah. themes. That's right. Usually I read quite long epic type novels of yes. explored generations of families. and Okay. <laughs> so the short story is quite different. And as you said, it is quite the art form to be able to share a concept in so few pages. So what you're saying is next time we need to do a really long epic. Well, they take longer to read. Yeah, they do I mean, if you're, What are you going to suggest, War and Peace? War and Peace is a good book and I would suggest that to everyone. Yeah, but do you suggest it for me to read for your podcast? No, maybe not. I was thinking more of Love in the Time, not Love in the Time. Well, I hated the movie. So I don't want to read the book. <laughs> I was thinking someone like Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Yes. And his book is called... A Hundred Years of Solitude. I think that would be an epic that spans a few generations that you might enjoy. Yeah. The one I was thinking was Jorge Luis Borges. Borges. He's a short story writer oh, again, so... <laughs> You would. He writes a lot of essays and a lot okay, of. Edit that out so I don't look like an idiot. Cares. Is he the one that was mentioned in Jane the Virgin? Oh, did you? I mean, you don't. One watch or the other, because I don't watch Jane the Virgin. Jane was talking about you know the use of magical realism in Latino. Well, that sounds like Marquez. Marquez. Okay. And his book is a epic in three four hundred pages. So. But it spans a whole lot of generations. Oh, that sounds great. Is he Argentinian as well? Marquez? I don't believe so. Okay. I think he's Colombian, I think, if I remember correctly. Yes. He was born in Colombia and died in Mexico. It'd be an interesting book for you to read. I think you would like it because of that generation thing. Yes. Even though I didn't like it. But you didn't even like his Love in the Time of Cholera. No. But that was a movie. Maybe it was just a bad movie. Probably is a bad movie. You should always read the book. I don't always have time to read the book. No. No one does. I had free tickets. I didn't plan to go see the movie. Okay. I won them at the radio and I went to see it like the same day. 
Well, I figured we should start with talking about some of these short stories that we liked in this book. There are 12 stories here, and one of the ones that stood out to me was The Dirty Kid, which is the first one in this in the collection. Yes, that um, also stood out to me. What did you think of the first one? I liked it. You liked it? Yeah. Oh, well, like is probably the wrong word, because it's quite traumatic. Yeah, well, kind of sets a seed of... Uh, where are they? Bonaceres. It's like some old... It's like an old, rich neighbourhood that went down. And so she, the, the lead character has this fancy house in a neighbourhood that isn't yes. a desirable neighbourhood. No, it's undesirable. It's probably the slums at the moment, yeah. even though these houses would probably be worth a lot of money if they were ever done up. And then so she has to walk certain ways to places so she doesn't come across dangerous people. Yeah, and then she has people sleeping outside her house. Yeah, well, she had the mother and son sleeping outside her house mm-hmm. all the time. Then that's the dirty kid mentioned in the title. And they, they start interacting because the mother disappeared and the kid was unsure where he, she had disappeared to. And that leads to kind of like a journey to try and find out what happened to the mother. Yeah, and then the kid. Like the kid goes missing as well. Yes. Like, the whole family goes missing. Yes, well, that's true. Everyone goes missing in the area, it seems. But she thinks she finds... The mother? Yeah. Yes, well, she, that's true. Technically, she thinks she finds this kid as well. Yeah, well, that... But it's not. But maybe yeah. it is. Well, we don't want to spoil everything no. about the story, <laughs> but... I think there's some mentions of saints in this story, which is quite interesting... From what I remember, they're not actually a saint. Do you want to explain? Well, I don't know much about the culture. You know more than about Catholicism uh, than I do. I feel like they have a different understanding of saints to what we might. Yes. Like, they have absorbed that that Catholic concept of sainthood and applied it in a more casual sense. And to honour the dead, kind yeah. of. Yeah. But, like, they've got, like, the bad... Like that, I don't know if they're called saints, but you know, there's like the ones that even though they've like their shrines for them, they're not seen as good Saint. people. No, I can't remember what they call them. So different people are venerating different other people. Yes, and different I saints. I think it's just the way they deal with the dead is very different to us. Yeah, I think that the culture around death is extremely different to what we experience as white Australians. (laughs) I feel like we often try to distance ourselves from death. Well, that's one way to grieve. I once went to Chile, which I know is a different country to Argentina, but we did like this tour of Valparaiso and the locals took us to the cemetery and they like took us to this person's grave and he had killed... Five people, I think. But people were there venerating him, and apparently this person would, you know, fulfill your prayers. If you asked for something, um, he would give it to you, and then you would go back to his grave to thank him and put up a plaque. And so the whole corner of that cemetery was just covered in plaques saying thank you to this, this person, even though he was a killer, but apparently he only killed dodgy people. 
Saint so, Dexter, the new yeah. Catholic saint. Apparently, he like killed people that had ripped off poor people. Like, I think there was a dentist. Oh, good Robin Hood. Yeah, <laughs> to the extreme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would see that Robin Hood. I think that would make a great movie. Yeah, and we were there on a on a church trip, so they were Catholics. And then, you know, they got down on their knees and prayed to this this person. And we were like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> Whereas, you know, like um, in my experience of the Catholic tradition, like, you know, to be classed as a saint, you know, there's like a whole heap of processes where they look into the person. Yes. And they make it official. But they're like, this guy answers prayers um, so we're, we'll pray to him. I mean, does that make somebody a saint? Maybe. Like, but, you know, you would hope that so- somebody we would kind of ask as a saint had led a good example. And maybe killing dodgy people is a good example. I don't know. But I felt like that similar vibe was coming through in that story where yeah. she mentions, like, the saints. You know, people have set up shrines to particular saints on the streets and stuff. There's probably big differences between the culture in Argentina and Chile. Yeah, I'm sure there are, but Catholicism seems to be different in all countries yeah. anyway. Yeah, and then and the all... way they apply it yeah, is well, different to how we experience they've it. They've made it their own. They've adapted it for their culture, mm. which is pretty awesome. I think the whole concept of trying to find a beautiful house in this mm. dodgy neighbourhood and trying to navigate your way through it is quite interesting. She's a single woman trying to protect herself and trying to keep herself safe from Mm. everything going on outside. And then she lands in the middle of this Mm. traumatic event for the kid that just goes to some dark and weird places. Mm. Do you think it's a little bit like our neighbourhood, but not to the same extreme, where we live is a little bit dodgier than other parts of where we live. Yeah. And, like, so often we have sleep- people sleeping outside, out in the footpath and stuff. And then, you know, the odd occasion, somebody will be running down the street screaming and you're like... I don't somebody- want to go outside, yeah. no. Yeah. Like, is somebody trying to kill them? And then you don't know what happened to them. And then you're, like, wondering for the rest of your life if... You made the right you- choice. If so. you- maybe you should have gone out and helped or... Yes. Maybe, but not... Probably not as traumatic. Yeah, and I mean... Not as traumatic. Not as like, traumatic. Very as low, low key. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Next story that stood out to me was the inn. And this is a coming of age type story. So in the inn, it's two teenage friends decided to pull a prank and they are hiding chorizo in beds for some reason. I'm just curious about how they were putting the chorizo in the bed without anybody noticing a hole. In the mattress. No, I don't like, know. Actually, when they make the bed, like, <laughs> there's a hole in this mattress. So this is a little bit of a childlike story with them trying to pull a prank. But then all of a sudden, these weird noises happen. Yeah, it's quite supernatural. Yeah, it's like, uh, like a supernatural event. And they feel like they're under attack. They've been invaded. Yes, by the ghosts of <laughs> in past. Because yeah, it, it used is, to be an army barracks or something, or a police academy. I believe it was an army barracks. Yeah, it was something. 
yeah. in their past life. I think it's interesting because it was a supernatural event, but it kind of captures that fear that they must have all the time of just going about their lives, trying to live normal, and then all of a sudden the army or the police come in and invade them and mm. disrupt their lives. Yeah, like the tension is quite high in like all those stories where yeah. like you feel like it building and building and then nothing happens. Oh, we might be under attack, but it's just imaginary ghosts. Yes. Um, cool. And then, oh, okay, cool. We'll just get on with our lives. Like, <laughs> Do you think that's the tension they must feel from day to day themselves or wondering was this the day that they're going to... Maybe. Obviously, they've had quite the history. Yes. Um, with dictators and secret armies and whatever. Well, the tensions are quite high and I feel like that's representation of their lives. Mm. This fear, that's the impression I got from the book with all these stories is they're constantly worrying about something that might never happen. Mm. It is a recurring theme in all the stories, I yeah. think, where these quite traumatic experiences happen. Yes, and, and then they have to just go on with and, their lives. Yeah. In the end, they played this prank, and I think her feeling of sexuality is something that comes across pretty strong. I feel like in that story that the, the theme of her sexuality is you know, quite important and, you know, she has this terrifying event, but perhaps it's even more scary for her to admit what her sexuality possibly is. Yes, it would be. uh, Like that's more scary for her than army ghosts. Yes. And I think that's probably the big thing in that story. And I think that's what stood out to me. And I think that's why I think this is one of the ones I keep coming back to thinking Mm. about. Are there any other stories you want to talk about? Okay, so one of the stories that stood out to me was Spiderweb, which is um, when the main character goes on a road trip with her cousin and I think her boyfriend. The cousin's boyfriend, yeah. Or her husband. I I think it's a boyfriend. I thought she took her boyfriend because she doesn't like him. Oh, yeah. They go up to Paraguay and they experience things. Um, There's one moment of sexual violence where... The, the male partner is like, we meant we should step in and help this woman. Yes. And then the other women are like, no, no thanks. We're not getting involved no, because yeah. we'll be next. That's that I theme think, again of yeah. keeping, trying to protect yourselves. And I think it was like the army or the police again that were the perpetrators of this violence against this yes. other woman. Um, and then, then again, at the end of the story, the tensions are building and people have gone missing and and then how they just go back to their normal life yeah they just carry on like nothing's happened just continue on through their day-to-day lives yeah nothing has happened it's just the boyfriend's disappeared and might as well continue going on with their lives yeah and then perhaps you know looking into it will cause more trouble dead as well i mean it probably helps she wasn't that fond of him well that does help but (laughs) if you went missing i feel like i would look into that (laughs) But the army or police did her a favour. Yeah. But maybe it was maybe it was neither. Maybe it was a supernatural. Yes, maybe it was supernatural. I mean I just assume anything like that happening is government related. Yeah. I've been my, watching too many X Files, I think. My old boss told me he went to Argentina once, back when the dictator was around. 
Yes. And he um, was hanging out in this cafe and this man came over and was like, oh, I'm trying to learn English. Do you like want to hang out with me and so I can practice my English on you? And he was like, oh, sure, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do that. I'll come back to your place. And then the, <laughs> these other people came and said, do not go back to his place because he's in the secret army, whatever they're called in that country. Yeah. They're like, they're undercover trying to get information. So do not go with him anywhere. <laughs> always have to be on your guard. You always have to be protecting yeah. yourself before others. That's right. And it's just so different to my experience because I have a very safe life. Except for your dodgy neighbourhood. Yeah, but like even my dodgy neighbours aren't going to kill me. No, hopefully like, not. They might want to borrow $2 for the bus and they yeah. might get drunk and get naked. I haven't felt physically under attack by no. any of them. And and I also feel like I can trust my police and I feel like that's like a huge privilege a lot of people don't have. That like, is true. You know, as a white person in my country, I feel that I can depend on the police. And I know that's not the experience of everybody. And then in other countries, it's a lot worse. Yeah. I think we also have to talk about the title story, Things We Lost in the Fire. And this is probably the one that sticks out the most for everyone that reads this book. I forgot what it was about until you reminded me yesterday. <laughs> so I don't know if I can apply that to me. Okay, so basically what happens is a man decides to set his girlfriend on fire and then blames her for falling asleep with a cigarette and then other men decide I can't remember their motivation they just wanted to control women and other men around the country decide that they're going to do the same thing because they know they can get away with it Mm. and they set fire to these women and burn their faces badly and then this movement starts happening where women are taking back control of their own lives and say they are setting they are burning their own faces instead of living in fear of a man doing it to them. And the main character is stuck in this world where her mother is part of this movement where they are trying to take control of their own lives again. And she's stuck with this feeling of, should I join the movement or should I take a stand? Because it seems like an extreme action to take. Very extreme. But sometimes that's all they have. That's right. And it is pretty affecting. It is a full-on story. And this whole idea of trying to join the movement, being standing beside all these women that are facing this tra- tragedy, but also knowing that this is a stupid idea to do to yourself, mm. but it's so damaging to do to yourself. I think that really plays out really well in that story. What are your thoughts on it? I probably blocked it out because it is so traumatic when you're so desperate for somebody to pay attention to the issue that you're willing to do that you start hurting yourself and i think when people aren't hurt when their experiences aren't hurt people are forced into that situation and don't you think this kind of issue is happening around the world all the time maybe it's not burning their own faces but the assault that goes on yeah and the amount of people that get away with it. I mean, that. women being burnt happens in a lot of countries. I mean, I don't know about what it's like in South America, but I know that women get acid on them in some parts of the world. And yeah. So, I mean, women are all, probably always going to be the victims of the violence of men. The idea of joining forces and setting up for mm. this and trying to bring attention to it yeah. is a noble one, but 
to do that damage to yourself is a big risk, a big step to take. I think it's just an act of desperation. It's a hard one to talk about. I thought this one would be the one that would have the most discussion about, but just the thought of it, it's hard to talk about. But I think throughout the book, this supernatural horror themes that come through the book are not the scary parts of reading the book. Feel this tension growing and you think, oh, there's something going to happen. But the scary parts are these women and all the stories are a female protagonist. They're all suffering everyday violence against themselves, everyday abuse. And that's the most horrifying parts of the stories, even though you would probably cast this a collection of horror stories. I think that's an interesting way to explore these horrors that they're facing every day by blending it with a horror narrative. Yeah, Yeah. I think exploring the trauma of some people's everyday lives is the terrifying part. There's the army ghost, you know, trying to break down your door. Yes. But then, you know, the the reality that they're living in, and I don't, I can't relate to that reality and I don't know what it's like and that it feels like a lot of it is drawn from real-life experience yes, in these stories. Yes, I think there's a lot there to do with the, the dictatorships and the changing of governments and yeah. the power vacuum and mm. the horrors that the government, army and police afflict and even just other people and men in particular that... Mm. The stuff they inflict on women is really prominent in this book, and I think that's what makes it an interesting collection to read. I would love to hear the opinion of the people who have lived through this and how they relate to the stories. Like, you know, the bits that we're scared of, that is their reality, are they like, eh? Or they're like, oh, this really captures how it feels. Yeah, well, I think they're building this tension with these horror narratives and these supernatural ideas, but... I kind of feel like maybe this is going to be similar kind of tension that they might feel. Mm. She's trying to capture this tension with the reader to try and give them a small idea of what Mm. it might be like to live that kind of life and to be in constant fear and worry about what might happen. Yeah. And I think that's why it's really important to read books from other countries that are translation because we do get a glimpse of what the reality is like. Yeah, yes. And I definitely have fallen down the rabbit hole with Argentinian literature and there are a lot of women writers that seem to be translated into English at the moment and there's a lot of great stories there and you get a glimpse of life in Argentina and what it might be like for a woman trying to struggle through the different changing environments and different political changes that seem to have got they went through throughout their lives. Hmm. No, I don't know much about Argentina or the history of Argentina, but when we when I was planning our church trip to South America, we were originally looking at Argentina and mostly because it was marketed as the safer country in South America. But you know, like <laughs> like it's still full on. Yeah, I don't know much about Argentina except for the stuff I've read in literature. I know it's a big multicultural place. I think it was in the late 1800s, they had a lot of influx of Europeans come in Mm. and they were all coming in wanting to be farmers, but the rich people had already claimed all the land. So they were stuck in the cities without work. That poverty just seemed to drive it with 
all that poverty and all the multiculturalism. It must have been a very weird and interesting place to be. Not that I would want to be there, but I definitely like reading about it. I think it's interesting. A lot of those South American countries have the same sort of pattern of like the dictatorships. Yeah. Because it happened in Chile, it's happened in Paraguay. Yes. I think it's mentioned in that story. Yeah, Paraguay, Paraguay. yes. There is the power vacuum that seems to happen whenever a leadership gets overthrown and the political landscape's always changing, it seems, especially in the early 1900s. I think it's like we, like as Australians, we don't... Like, no, we don't know anything now. Like, our, like, we get three prime ministers a year, but it all happens quite seamlessly. Yeah. <laughs> They're all meld into each other. And, and I, there's no. I feel violence. like our political parties all feel the same as yeah. well. It, there's not much difference between the party anymore. Yeah. So it's hard to know just what that might be like. It's just, it's just such a different experience to what, yeah. what we know. Okay, uh, wrapping up this book. Would you recommend it to everyone or... Everyone. No. Who would you recommend it to? <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think it, because of its strong feminist vibe, I would recommend it to people interested in women's issues around the world. Yes, definitely. It is pretty traumatic to read, so... Yeah. There are people that are not going to be able to handle... No, I probably wouldn't recommend it to want my mum. Trigger some realities that they face themselves. That's true. That's true. Man, I guess you can give them a trigger warning. Yeah, but trigger warnings, but sometimes they're needed. Absolutely, I love them because I like to know what I'm getting into. I think it's important to know the experience of other women around the world because it's easy. I think as like a white woman to think, oh, this is my experience, so this must be a universal experience, and it's not. And, yeah. and like, reading these stories really highlighted that to me. Yeah, definitely. Are there any things you would recommend alongside this? I heard a podcast. That's the New York Times. The New, New, York the New Yorker Fiction Podcast. The New Yorker Fiction Podcast, yes. There was... One episode when Moisin Hamid, who from wrote... Exit West, yes, yes. He read a story from... Borges. Yes. Yes, so I listened to that one as well. It was quite an interesting story. Yeah, it was the 1976 issue. The Book of Sand was the short story. Yes. And it has that same tension of something's about to happen. It's about to happen. And, I... and then it's like, no, <laughs> we'll just go back to normal life now. Yes, I think that seems to be a common occurrence in Argentinian literature, and I definitely recommend reading other Argentinian books. There's plenty to discover. You can go through a huge rabbit hole of books to check out. And there have been a lot of women from Argentina being translated into English, which has been great, and I'll list a couple of books there in the show notes so people can find some books to check out. I would recommend... For that horror social critique style, obviously, would be Get Out the movie because I think horror plays a really interesting way of dealing with social issues. And I think in Things We Lost in the Fire, they were able to do it. And that movie, they were able to to deal with racism. It seems like a bit of an obvious choice to recommend, but I would recommend that. And I will leave some recommendations for Argentinian women authors to check out 
Is there any other things you want to say? I was going to say, I just, like, talking about that issue of dictators in South America, I saw a movie before I went to Chile called No, which is about the advertising campaign to defeat Pinochet in 1988 in Chile. Oh, yeah, that would be um, interesting. So it, I'd love to see that. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting dynamic of living in that, that power vacuum and, yeah. and how that affects your daily life and your work and your family and... I recommend that. Definitely. People should check that one out. I need to check that one out myself. I don't know any Argentinian movies. No, me either. We should have probably watched a couple to prepare. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I think some of these would make an interesting TV show, similar to something like Black Mirror, where we deal with a single story in each episode. I think that would work really well, especially with this collection. This is the first of her books to be translated into English. I'm really hoping that some of her other stuff gets translated as well, because I'd love to read more from her. All right, we'll wrap it up there. If you want to follow Lost in Translations, we are all over social media. It is Translations Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and Let's See as well, if use Litzy. I don't know how to use Litzy very well. Please subscribe and if you are subscribing leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever you use. And thank you Mary for being a guest. Thanks for having me. And hopefully we'll get you on again with another book but we'll have to work out what to read. Yes. Alright. Thank you everyone. Bye.